Welcome to the Legends of the Black and Tan Coonhound, a podcast where two past breed presidents, Chad Smith and Ray Conrad, dig into the weeds of the legends of the black and tan breed and the owners and handlers behind them. Our mission is simple, to enshrine the stories of past legends and raise awareness and participation in our beloved breed organization, the American Black and Tan Coonhound Association. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we unearth stories of past black and tan legends. So I hope everybody had a good uh, holiday season and Christmas season. Uh, it's the new year now. I'm fixing to drop part two of uh, Flip On Fat Cat. Uh, but before I do, I just wanted to come on here and uh, uh, tell everyone who's uh, listening that uh, uh, Carl D. Meinhardt, Russellville, Arkansas, uh, Hall of Fame lifetime member of the Black and Tan Association, passed away yesterday. Uh, best we can tell, he uh, was found in the floor, so possibly uh, some type of heart issue. But uh, not sure how old Carl D. was, uh, I'm guessing 83, 84. Friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and he'll be sorely missed. Uh, uh, it's not much more you can say. He was a walking, talking legend, one that we uh, had planned to talk with and never got around to it. So uh, my condolences go out to Carl D's family. Carl D. Meinhardt, passing away January the 9th, uh, 2024. Kentucky River Chigger. Yeah. Did you keep any – I know you said you kept them out of every litter, but did, mm-hmm. did one of yours title out of that particular cross that you had litter make the Kentucky River Chigger? Do you remember anything about the one you kept? I, I, no, I you don't. I'd be honest with you. I think I kept one out of her and Lady, uh, were both bred, you know, to tag pretty much a couple of weeks apart. And uh, I kept a pup out of each one of them. And I, I'm thinking that the, uh, the Lady and the Tag pup started a little quicker, and I put my time in it. And I think I did, I'm pretty sure I not championed her out, but, uh, I don't remember exactly what happened on the, the one that I had out of Chigger and Tiger, and I may have sold it. Like I said, my memory ain't as good as it used to be. But uh, Now, did you ever get to go with Tony's Chigger Jill? No, I didn't. I, I wish I had her, but uh, the way he described her from the time she started and all the way up through, she sounded just like her mama. And uh, uh, I'm hunting a little female now that's out of Batman, and she reminds me a lot of Chigger. Uh, the way she's made and um, you know Chigger was uh, she was a late starter but she was super smart as far as you know I don't reckon I ever scolded her much for anything she was one of those little dogs you could talk to and and she thought she was mad at her it really hurt her feelings and she didn't do it again I mean she just she was an easy dog to train when she got going but when I bought her you know Jerry had swapped her for another dog from another guy and he got her and i called jerry i'd finished uh, a dog out and i was looking for a prospect and i didn't have a pup at that time he said well johnny watson's got this little dog that i swapped him said uh, he said talked about selling her and i think it was what six hundred dollars maybe so i stopped at the bank and went over on a saturday morning and i, was, I knew him but i never had been to his house he gave me directions and flippo did and uh so I go over there and I knock on the door, and uh, he had one of those uh, 
square-looking windows through the door there of a trailer-like. And he looked through there and he said, Cat, what are you doing over here? I said, well, I'll come to look at these dogs. I said, come on out here. He said, let me put some shoes on. So he put some shoes on. We walk out there. And I said, what dog's that? And he said, that's Bodoc. And I can't remember the other dog or two he had. And I said, what about that Jip there? He said, oh, that's Chiggers. That's the one I got from Flippo. I said, she doing anything? He said, ah, oh, she's starting to run a tree a little bit. He said, she's possum other night. I said, sounded good on it. But he was a, you know, Johnny's a good guy, but he just never was a real, you know, he, he went and he'd hunt for a while and then be out of it, you know. He never took it as serious as man Jerry did. But uh, I said, well, Jerry said you might want a settler. He said, well, I thought about it, but I don't know. He said, I, I ain't got nothing else young to hunt, these old dogs. And he'd had a dog that had died or got run over that he'd got partners with on law at one time. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I said, I got $600 here to take her home. And, you know, I said, I need something to start. And I said, uh, I'd hate to see you pass this money up and something happened to her like it did Bodock, you know, or whatever dog it was he was hunting at the time. He said, well, I guess I'll take it. You were sizing him up, what you was doing. But I mean, I didn't know nothing about her except what Jerry told me. I mean, I didn't know. And, and she was what he said. She, she was just a started dog, you know. She... You know, but I hunted her. I started hunting her by herself since I got her, you know, and I put her on some hot coons, and she run treat a couple of those, and I popped them out to her, and she didn't really care about fighting a coon a whole lot, but she took pride knowing that I was happy that she treated the coon. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, in my opinion, to make a coon dog, you got to hunt that dog by itself. You learn everything about that dog when you hunt it by itself, and it ain't got no distractions going on, but... So she started out and, you know, going hunting good, striking a track, working up. She, Chiggers, on, she had a little bit more nose than what she had brains to run some of. She'd strike some tracks and just, you know, how everybody's ever hunted knows you're thinking, what is that dog thinking? You know, it just stands on its head. But as a young dog, you know, it gets better and better, and they seem to figure it out. But Chigger was one of those dogs that she didn't go through the woods with falling tree. You know, she she had she wanted to smell the cone because she was very accurate. She's you know she just didn't take a gamble like a lot of dogs do. But she'd have a cone when she treated. She was a stay put every breath tree dog. I mean every breath. And uh, but anyway, I started point hunting her. You know, and lucky enough, I finished her to grand before she turned two. And uh, then I get I get burned out on a dog when I finish one out. I I like a young dog. That's the reason I hunt. It's just to watch a young dog get started and watch it progress. That's where I get my thrills from. It ain't killing coons or winning big hunts. It's just watching them progress and, you know, and taking them to that next level. Because if they're putting in the work, I think they need the notoriety if they can win. That's the reason I do it. And when I finish one out, Jerry, I tell you, I, he'll hunt them till they're 10 or 12 years old. Usually by about three, you know, I've done finished them out or two and, and, I lose interest in the same old stuff. I like something young. It just gets me excited, you know. But uh, Sugar was a real nice dog. Um, and, you know, she I didn't breed her as much as a lot of people would probably breed a dog like that. And I didn't go to different dogs. But I did breed. I never bred her nothing that wasn't a winner. And I had to go hunting with the dog to make sure the dog opened trail and was a, you know, a good tree dog. And I liked an independent stay-put tree dog. And if it wasn't that, you know, I wasn't going to, I won't make a cross. I, I'm not, you know, and I, 
I'm not making a cross. If I if the female's not worth hunting, I'm not taking a chance that, well, maybe the stud dog is so good he'll make a difference up. I don't believe in that. Because I'm a 70, I believe 70% of a dog that you're hunting, if you ain't hunting a good female, if the pup ain't out of a good female, the male dog can only do so much. And that's just, that's my philosophy. And, uh, so how many, so how many times you bred, uh, Chigger? You bred her to Tiger, I know. Did you? I bred her to Ace. Ace. I took her up there to breed to Ace, uh, a time or two before. And like anybody that's ever tried to breed to set him up Ace knows, you know, he was getting monkey four times a week. So he was particular on who he food with. Hmm. I know Blaze Breyer. He drove all the way down there to breed to Ace. And and Ace, he just, he wouldn't have nothing to do with her. So lucky enough, he goes over there and he breeds to Hoss. And that's where, uh, oh, what was the dog he had? It was so good. Uh, Jewel? Kansas Jewel. Yeah, that's where Jewel come from. And the only reason that cross got made is because Ace wouldn't, wouldn't breed her. And like I said, he was... Uh, he was selective on which females he would want. But uh, uh, I'm thinking those are the only two crosses I made with Chigger. Now, did you keep her until she died? Or I did. You, you did? Yeah. Yeah. That was a sad day. But uh, I kept her till she died. What I kept, was your next one then uh, after Chigger? Uh, I can't remember if, I, if it, the lady was in front of Chigger. Or behind Chigger, they were like I said, they were close to the same age. But I'm thinking I finished Lady out, and then that's when I started with Chigger, and uh, and finished her out. So I had those two granite females there, and um, I know I bred Lady to Ace once, and the the worst luck a person could have is. Uh, she come in heat, and at that time, uh, what was the guy in Georgia that bought half interest in Rex? Hay Hayward Ivy. Hayward Ivy had bought half interest from Jeff Nelson on old Rex and had him down there. And Lady came in heat, and uh, I had drawn Jeff at Black and Tan Days. He was hunting Rex, and I was hunting Lady. Uh, that was the year after I won Black and Tan Days with her. And he seen the way she was a track driver also. I mean, she she always went the right way with the track, and she was so fast she'd be in front of every dog. And I remember the night I draw Jeff, we cut loose. And it was an all-grand litter, you know, or cast. And we cut loose, and she got first strike, but she was a first strike dog, honest strike dog. So, wait, you're talking about the original Nelson's Northern Rex? Yes, yes. Okay. And, uh. Uh, so she struck. She was driving a track at Black and Tan Days. Yes, and they were in water. It was uh, in Ohio this year. She won the year before in Illinois, but this was in Ohio. And it was ankle deep water, and she was just driving. It was her and three male dogs. But anyway, they drove it through there. And Jeff, he was carrying the scorecard, which he's a great, you know, judge. And I mean, she just she was so far ahead of them other dogs. It was you know very noticeable. And she rode up on that tree, and I treat her, you know. Jeff said, uh, he said, I ain't Holloway. He said, what's your hurry? 
I said, well, Jeff, it ain't going no further. That's the end of it, bud. <laughs> and uh, so we go in there, and sure enough, she's got the coon, you know, and them other dogs come in there and back her. Maybe one of them didn't, but the rest of them did. And we're walking back out, and he said, man, that's a track-driving heifer right there, ain't it? I said, she does pretty good. He said, if you'll breed her to Rex, I'll breed her for free. I said, I'll, I've been thinking about Rex. And I said, I've hunted with several off dogs out of him that's done real good. I said, he's, a, he's definitely on my calendar, you know. And then Hayward wound up with him down there in Georgia. And so I take me and my dad, he rides with me. We go down there and I drop her off. Cause I, don't, I don't go and breed to a stud dog and turn around and come back home. I'm on them bred, you know, one day, skip a day, and breed another day. And I've never not got pups when that's happened. I know too many friends of mine that went, drove nine or ten hours, and breed a dog one time, jumped back in the truck. And sometimes they get pups, and the majority of the time they don't. So I, I don't believe in that, especially with a good female. But uh, I leave her down there, and uh, Hayward takes her to the vet one day and gets her checked. Vet says, hey, she's ready to breed tomorrow. He said, all right. So he puts her in a, in a kennel right next to Rex. And uh, the next morning, Hayward calls me. And he says, hey, Steve. I said, yeah. He said, you need to come get this bitch and go breed her to something else. I said, Hayward, I don't want to breed her to nothing else. I said, hell, I drove all the way down there. I want to breed her to Rex. He said, you can't breed her to Rex. And I'm like, well, why not? He said, he dead. I said, do what? He said, and I went out there this morning. He said, I took your dog to the vet yesterday. The sister's ready to breed today. He said, I go out there to put him in the pants, and he said, they're dead. Mm. I thought, oh, my God. I said, what did Jeff say? He said, I hadn't called Jeff yet. Oh, my. He said, I thought, I need. I know I need to call you because you need to come get her because she's ready to breed today. And uh, I said, well, I'm on my way. And uh, so I go down there, and I pick her up. And uh, everything's at a fast pace now because I know my time's clicking, you know. And uh, so I pick her up, and I'm coming back up through, and I hit Chattanooga, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go breed her three times. So I try to call Gene, but in those days, we didn't have cell phones, you know. It's like <laughs> phone booths. Phone booths, you know. And so mm -hmm. I try to call Gene. I didn't get no answer. And I'm thinking, well, he's either at the store or he's outside feeding the dogs or whatever. So I drive all the way up there. It's about another hour and a half north from me, from where I was at in Chattanooga. So I drive up there, and I sat there and sat there, and he never shows up. I'm thinking, well, crap. So I come on back home. And I'm thinking, hmm, I'll breed her to Princess Diamond Jim. They brothers, grand night. So I called Larry. I said, Fluffy, I said, listen, I said, ladies in heat. And I told him what all went on. He said, I don't know if he'll breed a female or not. I said, well, I'm going to bring her over and we're going to see, you know. And he did breed her. And I don't, it seemed like he had, she had a few pups. That was the smallest litter she'd ever had, which that was one of the last, it may have been the last litter she ever had. And, uh, was he getting up in age? Uh, he was probably seven, six. He, yeah, he, he was, he was older, which she was too, you know. And, but she had a few pups and Larry kept one. I got one. I had one or two. I don't Mine never did turn out. And his, I reckon when it was in the, it was in the doghouse or something or other. And it messed around, crawled out of the doghouse and got in the mud hole and got wet and, and died. Larry told me, I thought, I thought, boy, you need to take better care of them pups than that. But anyway, you know how he is. 
So that's what happened on that deal. But lady, uh, what's the guy's name in New York? He bought a couple. Duh Nicholson. I can't think of his name now. Like I said, I got Alzheimer's, but he bought one out of Lady and made him a grand night. It was Lady and Ace, I think, was that cross. But uh, overall, the bloodlines that we're more or less, you know, it all goes back to was, you know, the foundation. As far as my age and, and Larry, Jerry's and Larry's ages, you know, uh, was Rachel. It was the foundation on the female side of where most of our bloodlines come from. Even though Lady wasn't out of that bloodline, uh, I purchased her from a, a friend of ours who lives up here in Dayton, Tennessee, that he had bought. Jimmy Riggs. Jimmy Riggs bought Fr from, bar, uh, yep. what was the Lewis guy's name? Paul Lewis in Kansas. He brought her to Black and Tan Days, and she was like seven months old or six months old, and he hunted her just before the pup derby was there, but he hunted her and registered, and I think she placed second in the cast. And so somebody, Jimmy heard about it, and so I reckon he went out spectating the next night, and he wound up buying a little heifer, you know. And... Uh, Long story short, I called Jerry. I said, you know, anybody's got a good young dog that's ready to start or slightly starting. And he said, no. He said, I don't. He said, but Jimmy Riggs bought one up there at Black and Tan Days in Ohio, which I was up there looking for one. And uh, never found anything. And I thought, really? And he said, yeah. And so I knew Jimmy, so I called him. And I said, hey. I said, Jerry Flippo said you bought a little dog up there at Black and Tan Days, a little young dog. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, would you sell her? He said, oh, man. He said, I don't really want to sell her. He said, but I'll be honest with you, my wife, I just found out my wife's got chest can breast cancer, and I'm not going to be able to hunt as much and stuff, and I hate to see her set in a pen. And uh, he said, so I probably would sell her. And I said, what do you want? And we talked about a price, and I thought, well, she better be super nice. But he come down, we went hunting, and I went out on a trial. And sure enough, first drop, we cut them loose, and, Man, she was first and first against some three and four year old dogs, and I thought, I think she was eight nine months old. I paid him, and uh, I, well, this was history with her. I finished her to grand. I think she was nineteen months old, maybe twenty something like that. But she was a she was the fastest track dog I ever owned. I mean, just she could blister her track kind of like what you're talking about with Ruby. She was just a uh, Went the right way every time, and just uh, she'd be so far in front of other dogs. She wasn't a cold-nosed dog now. I mean, when she struck a track, it was medium to hot. But when she struck it, it's gone. I mean, she'd just drive it. But, you know, over the years, we've all had good dogs. and there's just, But there's a select few that's always in your mind. And when you're hunting a young dog, and it was like Larry, he was down for years because he was holding everything up to Rachel's standards, which wasn't fair to the dogs he was hunting, but it was hard for him to accept anything less. And anybody's ever had some of the good ones or the best ones, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's, but, you know, it's not fair to the dog, but uh, it's hard to accept sometimes, you know, that the dog ain't doing as much good as his mama or his uncle or daddy or whatever, but. That's just a part of life that, you know, I try, I try not to hold against a dog because they can only do what they can do. So without Prince's Black Rachel that y'all picked up, we wouldn't have two lines. We wouldn't have the three-time line, and we wouldn't have Kentucky River Batman. 
or Kentucky River Chigger that 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 made Batman. That's right. Batman and Kozar. I mean, you know, well, there was, uh, well, you know, Kentucky River Chigger, I don't, I don't remember exactly how many grand nights of that I uh, I mean, he had a 50% reproduction. Yeah, rate. yeah. Now, find another dog that does that. Not I me. mean, and out of every, and you know, these people talk about these proven crosses. I, me personally, it's just me. I, I don't think there's no such thing. I mean, yeah, they can have a, another litter of pups, but. How many times have you seen a litter out of the first litter that was just stem winders? Every one of them, but maybe one in the litter was just Cracker Jacks. And you go back to the same stud dog, same bloodline, and make that cross again, and the same people get the same pups. I've never seen it turn out to be as good as that first litter. But Kentucky River Chigger, now it's a different story. He didn't make a crap watch you bred or two. And that's one reason Tony, he would call me every time. Hey, she's coming in. What do you think? Which dead dog would you breed to? And I gave him some pointers, you know, and which one I, I would, I, if she was mine, what I would breed to. But that's just my opinion. And I don't, I'm, I'm dumber than a sack of rocks on most stuff. But at that time, I always try to breed to a dog. If, if I've got a female and her weakness is, you know, opening on track, she's a little tighter than I want. I'm breeding her to an open trailing dog, a driving dog. I mean, I, I, and I'm hoping that that'll increase and make the other dogs a little better. It don't hardly ever work that way, but that's the thought process I had back in those days. And the last dog I bred was uh, my bat. I got I had a little night champion female called uh, Holloway's uh, Batgirl. And I picked her up up there in floor from Tony Grubb, found her for me. I called him about a young dog out of Batman, which I had never had one out of Batman, but I knew he was reproducing quite a bit. And he said, there's a guy down the street down here. So he's got one and said, uh, I reckon it's, it's trade two or three let loose coons, you know. And said, you might could buy her. And uh, anyway, I wound up buying her. She was like seven months old. and She'd run tree, but she didn't know nothing, you know. But I probably treated more coons with her than any dog I've ever owned in my life. She was just a pleasure to hunt. Pressure tree dog. She was a little tight on track. But uh, she was out of Batman. She was out of Batman. What was her mother? You oh man, it uh, went back to uh, Todd Wicks's hammer dog, and uh, I'm thinking Special K. I can't. Kentucky River K. Yeah, I yep. think so. I believe that's right. And uh, she was a super nice little old dog, but you know when I night champed her out, she was a year old. But like I said, she was a little tight on track, but. She hunted the way I like a dog to hunt. She hunted an area of woods out, and if she didn't strike nothing there, then she'd go deeper. But majority of the time, she'd check back with me, and then I could either move or send her on, then she's going to go, you'd have to go find her off a tree then. But I bred her to Gene Hicks's uh, six-gun Albert, and the main reason I went to six-gun is because the Albert bred dogs back in our day, they were all open driving trailing dogs. Probably the best track dogs and out so, there. And so that's the reason, you know, that her weakness was not getting her mouth open quick enough. She wanted to know when she opened, the coon was going a certain way and she's driving it. But, you know, I was wanting something that would give a mouth open just as soon as it smells it and then figure it out. Get you on the paper as far as you point hunting. Mm -hmm. She had all the treeing ability of any dog. I mean, she was a stay put pressure tree dog, care less what other dogs doing. But she was a third or fourth strike dog. You know, because 
you know, she's these dogs is you know open and they she's trying to figure it out and go with it. But so I bred the six gun, and and there was two or three good dogs out of that litter that's you know has trained a lot of coons. And uh, but uh, that's kind of the philosophy I went by. And if I had a weak tree dog, you know, but it was a good track dog, I would you know try to find me a, a stud dog that was more of a throwed more of the tree power, you know. But I like a balanced dog, but. If you if yours is not balanced, you can't. If yours tied on track and you breed to a dog, it's you know pretty tied on track. Odds are you're gonna have a bunch of puffs that's tied on track. So, and and, and for a lot of people, that's what they like. And it's like the, the dogs that you know that's uh, lonely and get alone and a mile in there. You know that's a lot of dog people love that type of dog, and there ain't nothing wrong with it. But where I hunt personally. We've got 20-acre patches of hills and mountains and river bottoms with roving water fences all the way around it. And a dog that hunts too far like that right there, his lifespan ain't long at our house because they'll get run over or they get on somebody else's property and get shot. And it's just, uh, it's not feasible for us, you know, in our territory where we hunt. But uh, overall, you know, we've had a few decent dogs in their day, but you know, it's just, uh, we love the sport. We love to see dogs, you know, work and progress and get better. And, you know, when I lose that, that you know, when I go to a point hunt, I love to pleasure hunt more. And I pleasure hunt 95% more than I point hunt. That's why, you know, the some people say, you know, I want a competition dog. And then some people are like, I just want a, a pleasure dog. Well, to me, there ain't a whole lot of difference there as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yeah, you might win a few more hunts, but if the dog ain't a pleasure to hunt, <laughs> I mean, I like to enjoy myself and relax when I go hunting. If it's not, it ain't that. But I just feel like, uh, you know, everybody's standards are a little different. And just whatever you decide to go with, as long as you enjoy it and the dog, you know, is good enough for you and you're feeding it, hey, man, I'm happy for you. But Well, so so there's big game dogs that go back to Rachel and, mm -hmm. and Ruby because that, like you said, that two-time, three-time, those bear guys out west, that's, that's one of their favorite bloodlines. I've heard it from several. I watched those forums over the years. Several of those yeah. guys say – I'm looking for Albert bred dogs to put in my bear packs. So yeah. it makes yeah. sense. That makes yeah. good sense. Yeah, yeah, because our talk they started with that track driving that I guess started with Rachel, maybe. Did she was she a track driver, I guess? Oh yeah. 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 So it she, was she was she could handle either one. She was, you know, she could work a cold track or, or run a hot cone, either one. So out of all your dogs, Flippo, the ones that you've owned or co owned with Fluffy or which one really you really say, boy, that that I'm gonna hang my hat on that one. Well, Big Shot was the best coon dog I had. I mean, he anywhere you put him down, you know. We I hunted him up north, one up our one winter classic. Uh, Ruby, Ruby was a little better dog in hot, thick coons. I just I, I drawed some dogs that were probably as good as she was, but I never drawed one better. And in point hunting, but uh, Big Shot was overall the best. I mean, he's just and he, you if you could bet somebody your paycheck every time he treated where he'd have a cone, you'd be a rich man. He very very, it wouldn't matter if it's a cold track or a hot track, he'd have the cone. 
Now, did he reproduce his likeness? I bred him to some females, but some of them went before I started winning, but they weren't very quality females. I think I bred two good females. The whole time? The, yeah, before. And when I won the Winter Classic, I didn't know it at the time, but when I got home, I noticed he was sick, and I carried him to the vet, and he had went sterile. He had a prostate infection. That's a shame. And he it? never come back. He never. And so I never got to breed. There was a lot of people called me wanting to breed. But I couldn't, and uh, that's just the way it goes, you know. He was a big, rangy, long-legged, yeah, rangy he was the he was the tallest of the bunch. And uh, and I didn't know it for a long time, but I'd seen an interview with a podcast with Gene Hicks, and he said three-time was the most accurate dog that he'd ever owned. So apparently that – and I think Steve was talking about Jigger being, being accurate. They were just yeah. – I mean, I can remember hunting with other people – and having Big Shot in the box because he was an older dog and we was hunting young dogs. And uh, we just treat slick after slick after slick. And and people would go to blaming the weather, the coons wasn't moving, yada, yada, yada. And I'd turn him loose by himself. And uh, he'd end up getting treed, whether it was a bad track or whatever, and he'd have a coon. Just, he was just good at it. I remember a southern Georgia guy had a – Yeah. The, uh, remember Georgia Joe or something? I, like I, bred, I bred one good female – she was an ace female. Uh, what was that guy? His last name was Lewis. He lived up in Spencer, Tennessee. You, oh, Kenneth. Kenneth, Kenneth Lewis, Lewis. Yeah. brought an ace female and bred to him. And uh, I kept a female pup out of the litter. One of the best females. She was going to be a good one and uh, out of that cross. And she fell off a tree and broke her back. So that was the end. And then the, but there was a male pup in the litter that got sold to uh, a lily. In South Georgia, band, mm-hmm. they lived down in uh, Valdosta, and uh, he turned into a good dog and made a grand night. And and uh, I carried a bitch down there and bred to him and, and got a, and got some good dogs out of that cross. All right, uh, Keith Cat, <laughs> what's out of your dogs that you've uh, raised and been a part of? Which one was your favorite, or or you would hang your hat on? Oh man. Uh. I don't know. I, I knew it, that was going to stop well, He I, was pulling the Elon Musk on us. He, was, no, well, he mean, was sitting there As thinking. far as a, a point hunting dog, uh, the lady female. Well, we don't care about point. We're talking about just one you hang your hat on. It don't Whatever that means your to you. best coon dog. It, whatever that means to you. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. This is not a point hunt podcast. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. If I, if I had to sit here and think, the best coon dog. You're probably gonna to have to call him next week. Yeah, I'll call I, you from that phone booth. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. I, like I said, I've never had nothing that great. You got Alzheimer's. I don't know if you'll be in count next week. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, I know it. I know it. But, uh, if I could, uh, I, that's hard. The 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 back girl dog I was just telling you about. Now, as far as training coons and and being accurate and quick and I. I had more – she's treated more coons for me than any dog that I've had for this length of time consistently. Uh, well, that's all. I've had more pleasure, I guess, out of hunting her. But like I said, now going to a point hunt, Lady was probably my best uh, point hunting dog. I mean, I, I, I felt like I had a chance to win every cast when I was hunting her, especially in thick coons because she was so fast on that track. And uh, But 
You know why? So bat girl and, and lady. Yeah, probably. All right, Flip, I'm going to ask another question. Dogs that you didn't own that you were besides two-time. We know two-time impressed you super, a super good bit, but nearby dogs, 10-year-old. I've hunted with a lot of dogs that, I, that were way better than anything I ever had. Oh. Oh. Well, the best dog I ever hunted with, the most impressive dog, was Gillum's King too. Back in the early 80s, I had a little single restaurant bitch. I was trying to uh, find a stud dog, and, and uh, Johnny Gillum, that, Bruce was probably 14, 15 year old. He, he, I don't think he had started hunting yet you know, in the point hunts yet, but Johnny had a, a Gillum's King too, and uh, he had him advertised, and it was close in Huntsville, Alabama. It wasn't like an hour from home, and uh, I went down hunting with him, and uh, we went down there on the uh, Wheeler Wildlife Refuge, and uh, they were wearing chest waders. I'd never seen nothing, nothing like that before. And I thought we're, we always wore these. The only thing we ever went in rubber boots was them little uh, boots you wore around a cow barn, you know, milk, milk. Yeah, yeah. Milk well, they didn't even go up to your knee. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we got down there and, and uh, we couldn't even follow them because the water was so deep. And this King Two dog was treeing coons. He was treeing a coon and he didn't, he couldn't even stand on ground. He was swimming around the tree. I had never seen anything. That was the mo- to this day. It's one of the most impressive things and and tree after tree after tree and have a comb well so so we've cornholed those two dogs that y'all talked about for the last few minutes and then all of all the dogs today that bruce has goes back to oh yeah yeah too yeah bruce has had i think bruce and johnny have did more for competition hunting with the black dogs than anybody over the years i mean uh, they need to get the credit yeah, they're the real deal. Yeah, they're the real deal. Yeah, Bruce Gillum is uh, he's the real deal. And Bruce is about a and Johnny Bofer are about as nice a guy as you ever met. Accommodating. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Kitty Cat, if you picked out one dog that just impressed you, Ooh. <clears throat> I would say Harold Zanny was probably as a. Uh, She's she's impressive. She she would treat coons that dogs did have a clip with them in the woods. I mean she was she was <laughs> she's she was special. I mean she made it look easy. She was like a Michael Jordan deal as far as coon hunting goes. She was just a a coon treer. Didn't matter where you put her. You know, hot coons, cold coons, frozen ground. Mike Carroll done a world of you know good job you know, training that little dog, and then Jamie hand-pushed her good, you know. But I'll be honest with you, one of the the most impressive male dogs I ever hunted with was uh, Randy Smith's old Hobie th- male dog. He didn't have much of a mouth because, you know, he, he, Randy was hunting him years ago, and I reckon he got over on the backwater, and Randy couldn't get to him until the next day because he had to go get a boat. And his mouth after that was never the same. But that that... That little fella right there was a coon train machine. And I mean, I took a female up there and bred. I think, well, I, I took Chigger up there one time to breed the ace. And he went up to her, smelt around on her, and pissed on her and went in the doghouse. Jimmy said, Oh, Hobie a breeder. And I'm thinking, Well, in my opinion, Hobie's a better dog. I mean, to me, and I, most people that know as hunting them dogs will tell you that they, Hobie was a better dog. He wasn't a better reproducer than Ace by far, but as far as 
you cut one loose, one loose, Hobie's going to wind up with a lot more coons. But anyway, I thought, well, shit, let's bury your Hobie. So old Hobie went over there, and I mean, two minutes, bam, they, they hung up, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I'll get some Hobie puffs. And uh, Jimmy said, you want to hunt? I said, yeah, I brought a young dog. I said, we go hunt. So we went back there, and he took old Hobie. I thought, man, you're going to bring that dog out. He just got through breeding. He's going to be, because uh, we had like two or three other females with us. I thought, man, he's going to be riding in females the rest of the night, you know. No. Uh-uh. We cut loose. That joker strikes, goes in there and trees. The other dog's going in there and tree with him. He's up there stretched up there hitting every lick. He didn't come down, smell them females. And I'm telling you, 30 minutes later, he was hung up for like 15 minutes. I'm thinking, I ain't never seen a male dog like this. Because most of the male dogs, you know, that's all that's on their mind. I can, well, one reason I don't hunt them. But he was just a coon treer. And one year we were down there in, uh, at the Black and Tan Reunion in Arkansas, Mariana. And uh, at that time, Eddie Muse was, <laughs> Eddie was hunting old Hobie. And uh, we were down there on the cottonwood plantation, and a uh, bunch of them dogs got split. And I think two was on one tree, and Hobie was split, another dog was split. And uh, we went to that one dog, shot that coon out, and then they go back to these other two dogs. And uh, guy gets to shooting, and Hobie, he ain't missed a lick. I mean, he's in there probably about 80 yards just from him other dogs. And we ain't been over there or nothing, but he's just sitting there hitting every lick. And uh, old boy gets to shooting, and he shoots, and he shoots, and he shoots. And uh, Eddie said, uh, hey, Bubba, I don't believe he's going nowhere. I said, uh, you want to go ahead and shoot this coon out or what? <laughs> and so he shoots him, and uh, the coon hits the ground. And you're talking about a dog fight. I mean, he, there was them two dogs took an ass whooping that night. That coon worked them over. They finally went over and shot the coon in the head and got at least the dogs when Eddie, he said, well, I better get him over here and hook Hobie up before he leaves. <laughs> and we go, <laughs> we go over there, and Hobie got two cones up that tree right there, just never missed a lick. Now, I don't know about some people, that was very impressive to me. Mm-hmm. But, well, I've heard several people say that Oh, that was he, was, he put on a show. But I've seen a lot of dogs put on shows, but. Uh, he was probably consistent oh, as much as, yeah. any, as any dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. A lot of these, to me, the breed has come a long way as far as reproducing good starting fast tree dogs and accurate tree dogs. But, uh, you know, though, you know, you got to select few, you know, kind of like your ice female, that, you know, those, you'll never forget that dog because it made such an impression on you the whole time you was hunting it. And it's just, you know, everybody I think has had one of those dogs. And uh, if you have, you're lucky. And if you had two, you're real lucky. But, uh, you know, it's, I tell people, young kids too, I said, listen, it's like anything in life, boy. You get out of it what you put into it. And some people want to just go out and buy a big dog or a, a good winning dog, and that's fine if that's what you want to do and that's what works for you. But for me, uh, I don't get no thrill out of saying I went and bought a dog that's already made by somebody else because I enjoy making the dog. But uh, uh, I've had a, one or two to win every now and then, but Jerry's had a lot more. And But he's been hunting the black dogs a lot longer, and he's dedicated, and we love what we do and enjoy it. And when the day comes when we don't enjoy hunting, you know, it's time to get out. But 
I don't think that ever happened until probably I can't go to a tree. Well, we're going to go well, y'all are going tonight first thing, and then maybe I can get catch up with you later. Inky is going to – Inky and Corey is going with you tonight. So they're down here for a couple nights, and Kitty Cat's probably going to come back the weekend, and Flippo's going to go up north and hunt. Both these guys are lucky enough to be retired and retired young enough to go enjoy themselves and not broken up all over. So maybe we can tree some coons tonight and – not do a ton of walking. We did fill the side by side up. The little dozier is filled back up, and I wish she will be filled back up. So, Chad, I appreciate your hospitality. Man, I love coming down here and hunting anytime. Like you know, me and Jerry, we, I know we told you last night. You know, it's just uh, it's not four hours from home from up here, but the hunting is so different. You know, we, we, we live down in middle Tennessee where it's rolling hills and mountains and a few river bottoms, but 20, 30, 40 acre patches here and there. But, you know, it's just uh, riding a side by side or four wheeler and horses and stuff. That's, you know, it's all walk hunting where we're at. And uh, to come up here and Cl- like, more go, like climb hunting. Yeah. Climb yeah, hunting. yeah. <laughs> and go to Memphis, you know, Mississippi and Arkansas and, and hunt, you know, this flat lands. And we love going up north and hunting too. It's just, uh, I, you know, I told a guy a long time ago, he invited me at Black Ten Days one year. He was in Canada, from Canada. And they were talking up where is it, floor. And they were talking about playing golf. And I'd never been to Canada. And I don't think probably the furthest I'd ever been by that time was Florida, Illinois. <laughs> And uh, I said, y'all play golf in Canada? He said, yeah. And I, in my mind, Canada was just always snow, you know. But he said, we got to use those little orange balls to find them. But we play we play golf up there, you know. And then him and another guy was talking that lived up there. And uh, he was talking about killing, uh, I think it was a 35-pound coon. You know, he said, boy, I killed a big one last night, you know, before we come down here. And he said, about 35 pounds. And uh, he said, where'd you kill him at? And he said, over in Johnson's bush. And, uh, hell, I'm thinking, y'all train 35-pound coons in bushes? You know, I'm thinking, man, I got to get up there, you know. So I got to talking to him. He was nice enough. He's, he's passed now. But uh, he said, oh, man, he said, yeah, we'd love for you to come hunting. And I said, well, how far up are you? And he said, I'm about an hour from Detroit. And I thought, well, I ain't never been to Detroit either, but, you know, I'll, I'd like to come up there. And so uh, he invited me, you know, and I said, now, listen, I'm one of those guys, uh, if you invite, I don't think I won't show up. Because I'm one of the guys, you invite me, I'll show I, I just, I, I appreciate it, and, and I'll come. Because I love going and hunting with other people in different, especially in different parts of the states, to just see the difference in terrain. And uh, so uh, I lined it up, and uh, me and Jason Denby, that had the Reba dog, uh, Tell the story about the border guards. Oh, that was crazy. But uh, we'd never been nowhere like that. And he had just, he had an uncle that worked for GM. And so he'd got a, a good deal on a GMC truck. It was a regular cab, Z71. And that didn't have 500 miles on it, but he was going to drive it. This is young. He's, he's kind of young. He was a fireman. He was crazy enough to quit the fire hall and went to the sheriff's office now. I told him, I said, you've lost your mind, boy. But anyway, he did. So I lined us up a hunt with Alan Johnson and Doug Gilly up in Michigan, which, you know, Doug had the Gilly's Midnight mm-hmm. Special. And uh, 
Luke Johnson, you know, he. he well, Skilly's Midnight Special was. Out of, he was out, out of, of bow and screaming bow. He was he was a full a full brother to Hobie when he's just a different litter. I think so. I, I think that's right. right. I think that's, that's right. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. yeah. Ron Myers made that cross. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was by far the loudest mouth dog I've ever been woods with. Nothing nothing compares, other than a tractor trailer hitting that foghorn. He was a big ball mouth dog all the way, but he carried some light. It was just, it was unbelievable. I was hunting spades at that time, and he was a good loud mouth male tree dog, coon dog. And he got treed first in front of old Special up there. But when Special come in there and treed, you couldn't hear nothing else. And I mean, when you go to snap your dog, you, I'm telling you, you talk about hurting your ears, that Special dog was, he was, that was his most, uh, you know, thing about him. He was so loud. But um, we go up there and hunt. We hunt with Alan a night or two, and I go hunt with Doug one night. And then we go over in Ontario, Canada, and hunt with uh, Delbert McCallum was the fellow's name. Super nice. Old Springs, Ontario, Canada. And we get up there, and Terry Delbert, which, you know, she can hunt some and shows dogs a lot. Terry Delbert. Yeah. yeah. She'd come up, and she was videoing it. And uh, I think Spade had just placed it winter classic year before that or whatever. But, and that's what I was hunting. And uh, we got there, and we cut loose. And I'm, I'm going down the interstate. I'm thinking, man, look at this timber. I mean, I'm thinking, good God, it's the hardwood up here. And uh, so we get out there, and we get cut loose, you know. And they strike, go in there and tree a few coons. And I asked Delbert, I said, where's them bushes y'all been treeing these coons up? And uh, he said, this is the bush. I said, man, these ain't no bushes like we got down in Tennessee. I said, this is hardwood timber here. I mean, oak trees for, you know, good God. He said, oh, that's what we call the woods up here. He said, it's the, the bush. I thought, well, man, I thought we was going to treat some 35-pounders up some bushes and shake them out and get a dog fight going on. He said, oh, no, no, no. And uh, he said, well, we're going to go over here to the creek. And uh, I said, okay. And, uh, but I, that was, I did kill the biggest coon we ever killed up there. It was 38 pounds. And I thought, man, this joker's coming back to Tennessee with me and getting mounted. And uh, so I'm dragging him and having to swap arms back and forth. And he was getting heavy. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get back across that border with this coon? Because he's closed, you know. And uh, so I thought, I ain't going to do that. And because Deborah had talked about him coming across that border, you know, it's really bad now as far as pulling vehicles off and doing searches and stuff. But... He told that he told Jason Demby. He said, "Man, I sent them tear engines out the vehicles up there and check them and stuff." You know, well, sure enough, we had no trouble getting into Canada, but coming out through Detroit, what are y'all doing up here? Oh, we coon hunting. Y'all kill any? I said, "Oh no, we didn't kill none." I said, "Season closed." He said, "What y'all doing? He said, Who you seeing up here?" And I said, "Oh, my Uncle Elbert or Delbert McCallum." Oh, you got an Uncle lives up here? I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. I said, we went up here and hunted with him with his dogs, you know. And uh, he, he wants me to take his dogs back home with us, you know. And I said, hmm. They looked down. They seen the Tennessee license plate. And they looked down to make sure we had shoes on, you know. And I said, yeah, we got shoes on down here, but we ain't to clamp it. He said, y'all pull right on over here. So they pulled us over there and sent us in. Man, they started going through that truck. Made us get the dogs out. Mm-hmm. And Jason Denby, man, he was, he was I mean, he don't smoke, but he was wanting cigarettes. He was a nervous wreck. He was going to tear that motor out of the car, that truck, you know. But so y'all had, had no trouble getting across, no, coming no, back in. And I had country ham. 
I took all of them a country ham and had it underneath the seat, you know, going in. And that's what I was worried about getting checked going in. But man, with no problem getting in, but getting out. And I'm thinking, well, we got in easy. Surely we'll get back in the United States with no problem. I don't know. It's more. We spent about an hour there, and finally we had to open up our luggage and all this crap. I'm thinking, but they were thinking if we were hunting, we had a gun. But we didn't have a gun. We didn't take a gun. I mean, I wouldn't that. Yeah, he had the gun. They got plenty of guns in Canada. (laughs) But uh, anyhow, it was just, uh, I enjoy going and hunting with people. But like Jerry said, you know, well, like I told you, I'm going to hunt again tonight, go home tomorrow, and then I'm coming back and hunt Thursday and Friday night. And when and Jerry, like Jerry said last night, y'all be deleting me off your phone. You know, I, I'll over welcome my stay. But oh, I uh, think I said blocked. Oh yeah, yeah blocked me from my phone. Yeah. Y'all are staying in 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 Chick in the big metropolis of Chick, Tennessee, yeah. where there's only oh, one. Oh man, it's peaceful down there. One one live family living down there. And of course, we got our farm shop down there, but we love the privacy. Well, it's getting probably about an hour from dark. And uh, you got to take his old time nap. Uh, if you enjoyed this uh podcast, uh, there's no advertisements. All we ask you to do is go to abtcha.net and find it in your heart to buy a membership. Where uh, this is uh, a uh, podcast where we want you to go, we want you to become a member of the Black Tan Association because these two guys that I'm looking at are also members as well. and and if it wasn't for the Black and Tan Association, we wouldn't have met. So that's 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 worth $30, isn't it, Flippo? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to sign off. So uh, for right now, uh, y'all have a good uh, a day or night or whenever you're listening. And then uh, always remember to go black. <laughs>